Welcome to the Civ 6 Challenge League podcast, your one-stop shop for Civilization 6 news, strategy discussions, and updates on what's going on in our community, which I invite you to join at r slash Civ 6 Challenge League. Whether you're a challenger or a spectator, we've got you covered. Remember that this community and this podcast belongs to you. It wouldn't exist without you. You want to talk about something? You want to be a guest on the next episode? You go ahead and find me, VectorCat, on Reddit, Discord, or Twitter, and let's make that happen. So that's the intro, that's the lowdown, that's the skinny, that's the deets. Enough chirping. Let's get this episode started already. Hope you enjoy it. Intro music, engage! Challengers, spectators, newcomers, welcome back to the arena. We've got quite a bit to cover today, so let's not dilly-dally. My guest today is a most entertaining and energetic Civ 6 streamer. He is a fellow member of the Civ 6 Challenge League, but most importantly, he is one-third of the discussion and actual play team known as The Civ Show, a bi-weekly stream producing unique and interesting multiplayer content with a healthy dash of in-depth analysis. You can find him on Twitch and YouTube. He sucks, so you don't have to. That's right, folks. Today we're sitting down with Moy Sauce. Moy, let's get into it. How are you, man? You've been busy lately. Man, that was a that was an intro. You've uh, that was that was well done. You know, I, I'm trying, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Man, when, when I introduce people, it's so messy, and I'm making it up on the spot, and I repeat myself all the time. And then there's you. Mr. Professional over here coming in with an actual intro. I'm like, dang, I gotta up my game, don't I? <laughs> well, I, I I don't know if you have to up your game or not, but that's appreciated. I uh, just happen to have a lot of free time on my hands these days. <laughs> don't we all? Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, welcome to the show, man. I'm very glad to have you. I'm enjoying this. Uh, this Jetsons and Flintstones crossover thing that we're doing this week. This is yeah, the, a lot of fun. Simpsons and Futurama, the SpongeBob and Jimmy Neutron episode right here. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, because we'll we'll be talking about your show in a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm guesting on your show tonight. I was on there Sunday, and now today. On Canada Day. Happy Canada Day, by the way. Thanks, man. I'm glad you're aware of it. Not a lot of Americans know about this day. I'm not... Hey, thanks. Yeah, yeah. happy Canada Day. <laughs> uh, on Canada Day, you're here on my show. So, yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. An, an exciting week. So, I'm going to start with you like I start with everybody. I've got three questions just so that anybody listening who wants to know more about you and your civ philosophy can learn a little bit more i want to start with when did you start playing sit you know i get this question a lot and i think i've answered it differently every time <laughs> because i don't remember the exact game it was i remember i got it from a friend and i burned it on a different like on, a, on another cd don't tell the cops i know oh wow no but i i, I borrowed it from a friend i burned it i gave it back to him and I don't know what civilization it was. From what I understand, from it, I think it's Civilization 3, but it could be 2, because I have no idea. Um, all I remember is it was a bunch of squares. You can stack units on top of each other. 
and when you went to war and went to this like separate screen where you saw all of the stacked units fighting each other that's all i remember so i i think it was civ 2 or civ 3 I, I i don't know which one it is though i don't know if you kind of remember which one that is it might have been around 2004 yeah my guess is three or four i know it is pre definitely five. not four definitely it, not four gotcha well then yeah then uh, then i guess my guess is three yeah that, that's what i was thinking too because i remember four right i remember playing four maybe once and then I really got into Civ for Civ Five. So you can say I first got introduced to Civilization on Civ Three. We'll say I played one game of Civ Four, and then I really got into Civilization when Civ Five came. I thought Civ Five was a really great game. It was really good once you got the expansions for it. I feel like it was okay at first. You didn't like the, the vanilla didn't have religion, right? And adding that religion aspect to the game really changed the way that you just thought of the game. You know what I mean? Like suddenly you have all these bonuses and you have a religious victory that you need to worry about. And we all know in religion and computers and civilization, they just bombard you with the amount of apostles and missionaries all at once. It's insane, right? Just the amount of the amount of apostles that they can produce, can we talk about that? Like, they, they're cheating, right? Then of course they're cheating. That's ridiculous. How do you have that many apostles? Well, they have that many because they start generating faith so much earlier than you do. Oh, and they, also, they, also, they spend it all at once? Yeah, I mean, they, they have a... It's, whether they spend it all at once or not, I think that's going to depend on the civilization, but they're going to start with... On deity, at least, they're going to start with three cities, and they're also going to start with additional warriors. They can start scouting faster, right? So it's possible for them to get more Eurekas, and well, and this is like going back to Civ Five um, before uh, Eurekas and Inspirations being in the game together. But like in Civ Five, like they're still gonna they're gonna find those natural wonders before you. And they're going to find places to get holy sites down before you. And I think in Civ 5 and Civ 6, I think that astrology is one of the technologies that every Civ starts with the inspiration bonus to get to. I think, I, I think all of the deity Civs start with that. So, yeah, so, so they're going to start stockpiling faith faster, and so that's what enables that missionary or apostle rush later on. I, and this, this is all from my memory. This is not hard fact. I don't have the wiki up in front of me, but that's my recollection. Yeah, so that's, that's one of the explanations. Um, I, don't, I don't play a lot of single players, so, like, when... when... You say stuff like that, I'm, I, I have nothing. Like, yeah, I believe you. I, I would believe you 100%. <laughs> well, we're going to... Uh, that's one thing I want to talk to you about later on is the differences between single and multiplayer. So hopefully oh. we, can, we can get into that uh, a little bit. But I think another reason that you get so many religious units coming as a cohort is that religious units are much weaker when they're alone than military units are when they are alone. 
Right. And and so a missionary rush is a lot more effective than just sending one missionary. And I think that's coded into the AI's play style. That's just my conjecture. I can only imagine. Do you know what OpenAI? Do you know? Have you heard of it? No, I haven't heard of OpenAI. Teach me. So it's a Dota 2 AI that's backed by Elon Musk. Um, I don't think it's limited to Dota 2, but that's where I heard about it. And it's, you know, you're, I don't know if you ever really know even like a chess AI, but it plays itself, right? So it plays itself and it learns what the best move is. So it plays against itself. One team wins. Okay, what did it do? It did this. Okay, let's adapt that to our strategy and play itself again. Oh, now, the, now plan B won. Okay, let's adapt that strategy. So it, it plays thousands and thousands and thousands of games and it adapts this super strategy that almost becomes unbeatable. So I wonder if OpenAI was, was um, implemented into civilization, kind of what the strategy of that would be. I think it would be really interesting. I think it would be too. I think it would be interesting if they did that in order to replace the just purely mathematical benefits that day I, that the deity AI gets currently. Exactly. I, exactly. I, I think if the mathematical benefits remained in place and that was added, the game might be unplayable. <laughs> it, it would. Even I think if, if just open AI was an option, I think it would be unplayable. I, there's so, it's so good. There's been no human that has beaten open AI. Like it's, it's that good. Maybe they could put a throttle on it. Maybe you could have a slider in advanced settings. How, how smart you want your open AI to be. Yeah, but it's hard to, imp like, being a programmer myself, I understand how hard it is to implement something like that. And for a game like Civilization, where kind of the main focus is the history and the, and the building, and, like, you want to have that satisfaction of crushing your opponent, I don't think they're going to implement something that hard into a game like that. I wouldn't do that. As a developer, I would not do that. I don't think I would either. So speaking of crushing your opponents, speaking of when you finally cinch that win, good, do you have? Transition. Do you? <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate it. You're you're just full of compliments today. Do you have? Do you have a preferred win condition, and or a play style? How do you describe yourself as a player, and which parts of the game are most attractive to you? I definitely have a play style. I don't know if I have a favorite win condition. Uh, I just kind of adapt to whatever is given to me. I guess if I had to pick a favorite win condition, it would probably be science. Um, just because that's, that's what my play style revolves around. I've been known, even with the other two parts of the Civ show, I've been known to just poo out science. You know, even if I'm not leading in science at this at, at a current point of the game early on, they know that if I'm left alone for maybe 20 turns, I can turn it on and just just have so much science racking up uh, throughout time. There, so I would definitely say science is my playstyle. I I love it. I think when you're up in science, even if you don't have a very high military score, one military unit that is leveled above the other is worth more than two or maybe three of the same unit that's an era behind. So that's why I value science. It's 
it can be misleading. You see Genghis Khan with a thousand military strength. They're all horsemen. But then you have maybe, uh, uh, we'll say America, who has their unique, uh, they don't have a unique infantry. I'm sorry, that was uh, Civ Five. Uh, <laughs> let's say they have, for whatever reason, they have infantry at that time. And there's their, their military score is like four, 500, 600, right? Those infantry are going to wipe the floor to these horsemen. It doesn't matter what your military score is. They're going to they're gonna kill like three, four, five each, right? And then that military score will go down. So I think science is king, no matter what. Uh, that's my play style. Anyone can argue with me for that. That's totally fine. Because the and other two because... have different play styles for sure. Sorry. No, 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 no worries. And because the internet exists, people will argue with you about that. That's going to happen for sure. Oh, 100%. I, yeah, I think it's a valid approach to the game because it demonstrably proves results repeatedly. If you've, I think there was a episode of your show recently where the results of your scientific research were compounded by the terrain of the map because you were able to get some strong units into choke point mountain passes. Wasn't and that last week? Or I that... think so. I, I think maybe I think maybe Nystagmus no, yeah, was, was playing That's right. That's right. Was Grand playing Columbia. Grand Columbia yes. maybe? Yes. And you were able to get your they were either I think it was pikemen that you had at that point in the Pike game. Pike and shots. Yes. Pike and shots, that it, that's yeah. it, yeah. And they are not the best unit in the game. They really aren't. But when they have their support bonus and they're fortified and they're against cavalry, they can be really effective, but you have to tech your way up to them in order to have them as an asset. I had such a good game that game. I'm so sad I didn't win that, dude. I got, I got you know, Zoe declared war on me early on with Poland with his unique unit so he had the most opportune time to attack me and then literally 10 turns later this dude nystagmus comes down with his Lineros, with his best unit of all time comes down like coming down at me and i'm like oh my gosh like i have to defend against both these idiots <laughs> and so like <laughs> I, i'm i'm building a ton of pikemen and then they got upgraded into pike and shots i successfully defended against both of them both of them really believe they could have beaten me i disagree um and then I lost the game anyway. I'm like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> that's so disappointing. It's funny that you say that, though, because that's kind of the opposite where Nystagmus was ahead in science that whole game. He, and he got his Zaneros really quickly. Uh, the, the, but I was kind of aware of that, and I rushed to Pike and Shots, just hoping it would slow him down. I didn't think those Pike and Shots would necessarily even be good against his Zaneros. I just thought it would at least slow him down for me to kind of keep teching and keep getting a little bit more units, a little bit more units, right? And it ended up yeah. just completely blocking him. So he, had, he was enclosed by mountains in his land, but I used those mountains to my advantage. I put like one pike and shot between uh, this one passageway he couldn't get by. Then he tried to fight me with a musketman, then I moved my musketman there and he couldn't get by again. And yeah, it ended up working out. So it's weird that it's contradicting when I say science is king, because he had a ton of science, but he still couldn't win. Well, I don't know if it's really a contradiction. I think you're actually supporting your own argument. What you're saying is that if you pay attention to science enough to keep track of the rest of the game, if you pay attention to science enough to keep pace with your opponents, that proves how powerful it can be 
because you you cannot get swarmed by more advanced units. And this is something I think is true in multiplayer and single player. There is a lot of the game where you may have to focus on just keeping up. You may be really challenged and you can't hope to get ahead. You just have to keep up. And this was one strategic instance where you said, I cannot keep up with him scientifically across the board, but I can research this one countermeasure that I know will be effective, the pike and shot, and I'm going to take that countermeasure and I'm going to put it in these access points that I know he has to go through where he can't flank me. And sometimes precision research can be equally effective as being ahead in science across the board. Yeah, okay, that's actually a really good way to put that. I'm glad you put my thoughts into words. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, as you probably know, words are not my best subject, right? I'm not a very good communicator. Um, but yeah, that's, ex- that's exactly right. I, I recognize that they both had really strong cavalry, and I really prioritize the, the anti-cavalry. A lot of people underestimate the anti-cavalry, rightly so. But when they both have unique units of cavalry, kind of the only way to go with that. They're not a good offensive unit, but they're a fantastic defensive unit. They are. They can be situationally excellent, for sure. And I think that their success depends on which route down the promotion tree you take as well. But that's there's probably an hour's worth of discussion that could be had on promotion trees. And I'm frankly, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of a lot of thought that can get into those. Uh, they can be they can be game winning or game losing. You pick the wrong one for sure. Yeah, they can. I mean, there's probably a half hour's worth of content just to have about the hoplite alone, and I just refuse. Oh, I'm not going to do it. What uh, I will have a half hour talking about though is, I assume. As much as you play and as much content as you produce, I assume that Civilization VI is not the only game that you play. No. However, if you had to tell someone else who didn't know anything about the game one thing about it that you love, one thing about Civ VI that keeps you coming back to this game in particular, right? What like what's the one thing that comes to mind that makes you keep coming back to Civ VI? It sucks that I have to pick one. Um, yes. Well, I can't make it too easy, man. Okay, so I'll pick one, but I'll give you the both, how about both give, the ideas how, how, that I'm thinking. How about I? How about I give you two? Because we're doing a crossover week. We've got two shows. <laughs> we've got two hosts. So you get two answers. Okay. How about that? Well, one of them's really quick. One of the, one of them right. uh, history. Uh, I guess I just I'm not a huge history buff, and the fact that I can even ge- get exposed to other civilizations I didn't know existed, like the Incans, for example. And then I researched who they are and what they did, and it was fascinating. Uh, so history is one part. I get, to little, I get to learn a little bit more about ancient civilizations every time I play. The second part, and probably the one I was going to say if I had to only pick one, is the variability between every game. Every game is completely different than the, than the last and the next. You play a different civilization. You have a different strategy. The map layout is different. Your opponents are different. So you never have the same play style twice. You, you have to reprioritize what you're researching, what units you need to build, uh, how many cities you need to settle. Every game is completely different than the last. It's not like you know Call of Duty where you just kind of spawn in. Yeah, there's different maps and everything like that, but kind of the objective of Call of Duty is 
you know, you kill other people, and that it, it, it gets repetitive after a while. You can say that really about any game, but just with strategy games, and especially with Civilization, every game is completely different, and every game is played. No two games are alike. And that's what I love about Civilization. I couldn't agree more. I have absolutely nothing to add, and I agree with... <laughs> Sorry, all. I completely blanked you out, didn't I? <laughs> no, you, you didn't blank me out. You just... There's, there's no point in me just going on and on about how much I agree. It's just much more efficient for me to just say I agree, because I do. I know. I just from one host to another host, I feel bad. You know what I mean? I, I I'm sorry. Well, I tell you what. How about we take a quick break, and you can collect yourself and get over your feelings of angst, host to host, <laughs> and, and and you'll feel better. And then we'll resume, and we will pick up talking about you playing Civ Six specifically on the Civ ship. That sound good? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. And we're back. All right. So next up, I want to talk about the Civ show. And I'm also looking forward to reaching out to Zozo and Nystagmus, your co-hosts, and see if they want to be on here as well love to see what they have to offer but i want to first of all i just recently found you guys and i don't honestly remember how and so personally i'm curious to know how this all got started to begin with so that's a it's a long answer i don't know if you're really ready for that one um but let's get into it i guess so <laughs> no no it's a good question because we actually have a lot a lot of history um so this this idea goes back to maybe 20 i want to say 2014 um we weren't the civ show at the time oh wow yeah we weren't the civ show at the time we were under uh another they're an esports company that normally runs starcraft events uh it's a mutual friend that we have uh, me and Zoe, anyway. Uh, ES, ES Champ. Uh, they run King of the North. They run uh, uh, ProBots, uh, a bunch of StarCraft material. And he wanted to dabble into Civilization as well. It's something that uh, him and Zoe played a lot of growing up. So his name is Drek, by the way. So Drek and Zoe grew up. They started a business together. And that's how they became kind of like friends. They, they call it their marriage. They were married because they started a business together. Uh, they played a lot of Civilization in that time, and eventually, uh, when that place closed, and then Drek, ES Champ, started his own thing, he wanted to try to pick up Civilization as a business again. So he recruited Zoe, he recruited me, and we called it Turns of War, was the original title of this idea of the show. And so that went on for a while, probably uh, it was, for two-ish years, maybe. Uh, every Friday for two years, we got onto Civilization and we played Civilization. It was uh, Drek, myself, Zoe, and another guy named Zealous Zam. He's another streamer on Twitch, but he doesn't really dabble in Civilization anymore. He's, he's moved on to his own thing. We've, we've invited him to play, 
but he's he's completely I think moved on uh, away from civilization, which is which is fine. Um, so the the idea goes all the way back there. Again, we was this the go ahead. Was this the same Zam that was watching the stream the other night? Yeah, yeah, it's the same Zam. So he's 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 your friendly neighborhood troll. He he can be a little bit obnoxious at times, and I I understand that and I acknowledge that. But he has a good heart. I just I th he he doesn't know his boundaries sometimes. So like he comes with a good intention, but then sometimes oversteps his boundaries. So you gotta have to find. You can tell him like, okay, this that's too far, and he'll stop. He just won't like. He won't say sorry or anything. Or he won't apologize. But he's he. If you actually talk to him, he's a good guy. So there's like a persona version of Zam, and there's like a uh, a regular version of Zam. So you you sometimes you usually just get the persona version of Zam, which is like the troll, right? Uh, but he's a good guy. I got a lot of respect for his loyalty to y'all following your stream a couple years after he's no longer playing with y'all. That's a good friend there. Yeah, he, he, he is a good friend. Um, funny story. So Zoe lives uh, maybe about an hour away from me. And Zam's from, like, Calgary, so way out west. Uh, if you don't know what Calgary is, Alberta, it's above, well, let's just say it's above Washington. It's a little bit more east, but let's say it's above Washington if you're from the States. Uh, so he's all the way there. He met Zoe before I met Zoe, and I live an hour away from Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> and we all met at the same time, though. Like we all like knew of each other because of the uh, because of Turns of War. That's how I met Raising Zozo is in Turns of War. Um, that eventually fell apart due to uh, just kind of like conflicting ideas of Drek and myself and Zoe and Zam. Uh, Drek was the was the was the head guy. He was the one that brought everybody together. He was in charge of it. You know, no no bad blood there. We're still friends with him. We still talk to him. Uh, I even actually I, I actually asked him. I'm like, me and Zoe are interested in, in taking this civilization idea and doing it ourselves. Are you okay with it? He he said yeah. He's like I appreciate you asking me. He's like and then yeah. I'm like I'm totally okay with it. He even gave me a really good compliment saying like I know with you at the reins you'll do really well. I thought I, that was a little bit humbling. I was like, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, so then from there, that's nice, yeah, yeah. yeah, from there, that's where it turned into the Civ show because we didn't want to take the same name of Turns of War. Great name, by the way, because it's a kind of like a double entendre of the turn of battle, but also a turn-based game of warfare. So it's a really good name. So darn. But I think the Civ show is uh, straight to the point when I'm on Twitter and I just comment, like, comment anything, anything on the civilization. Um, post people already know what we're about you know what i mean oh they're a show based around civilization yeah so i think having the sim show as a name completely lucked out and you know that's part yeah. of our popularity i think is that I, i'm just very i'm very active on twitter you know I, I comment on every post that the civ game uh makes i make a ton of posts on grand columbia and how they're an s tier civ changed my mind uh i've made i've been super active on twitter <laughs> and i've been drawing so much attention to the civ show that way um, so I'm kind of glad where we are now, but that's kind of, I guess, a brief history is it was originally Turns of War, it fell out, me and Zoe picked it up, um, Nystagmus is Zoe's cousin, but I guess I forgot to kind of add him in there, um, yeah, he's his cousin, so that's who we recruited as our third, we always wanted to have a fourth, however, we never knew anybody, but then I'm like, okay, why don't we have a guest all the time as a fourth? Uh, then we did it still again still didn't know anybody so it's just kind of been us three throughout this whole time uh, but we're, we're still kind of working on it as we go we're still not set in our ideas or in our ways 
Uh, like we had last week a couple of you, you, we had you on, we also had copper cutters on uh, as our guests. Uh, we didn't have any audio or video for you guys, but that was kind of our experimentation of how can we play when there are guests. And I think it went really well. And yeah, there's the, your, your history lesson. I, show. I, as best as I can. I, I appreciate it. So in, ca in case I forget, I want to circle back to your, your Twitter outreach and your branding. Yeah. But first of all, I got to say, I actually think that it improved the game that the three of you could talk to each other and us, but you could not talk to us or see our feed. I think that actually made it a better experiment for your platform <laughs> because it, it, it would have been less experimental if we could chirp back at you the way y'all can talk to each other all night. You know what I mean? That was because part of it. That was I, part of it. Yeah. yeah, I forget who said it, but someone early on in the night, because uh, I was listening to the stream so that I could keep track of if we had any problems, right? right? right. And and someone said that they were treating me and copper cutters as... Advanced AI. That was raising... Adva was advanced so, AI, yeah. 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 And I thought that that was a really good way to look at it from y'all, right? From your point of view, I thought that was a really good way to approach it. And I also thought it was interesting that we were cut out of the loop because as a matter of sheer coincidence, it was Civ 6 Challenge League versus the Civ show. <laughs> I guess so, huh? You know? Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, and you you used an RNG to pull me and Copper's names. And Copper and I have been friends for about three years now because of CivCast and now Civ6 Challenge League. And so the fact that it ended up being one community versus the other, even though it was on the surface of five-player battle royale, I think it helped that we didn't have that communication. So that's just my quick feedback on that. I think it's a good thing. Hmm. I think keeping the guest, uh, keeping the guest as a mystery, like more aloof AI thing, I think that's a good asset to your platform. I really do. Just my two cents. Now that being said, unless you want to offer any response otherwise i'm just going to keep on going yeah, keep going I, I i basically wrote it down i'm like i'll take this back to zoe and nystagmus and kind of like see what they say about it uh so thank you for the feedback <laughs> yeah no doubt the other thing back to your twitter outreach and also just the branding of the civ show yeah yeah one one unique thing about your platform that i really appreciate is that you do almost wrestling league style photographs and uh that you put on your stream it's almost like the world wrestling federation oh you're talking and about the uh the actual graphics on the stream okay yeah 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 i'm talking about the actual stream assets right and yeah. uh and then you have your play style graphic where you break down how a player may lean generally towards religion or combat or science i think that those assets and also that I think some of your I think some of your scrapping on Twitter is genuine and y'all are gen <laughs> genuinely angry at each other, right? Oh, you but, have no idea. <laughs> but even even if you weren't genuine, like it just all it builds into this competitive league play 
that is an attractive option for a lot of people looking for Civ 6 content, I think, because most of the Civ 6 actual play content out there is one person playing against the AI, right? Right. And there's the only variety is the variety offered by the game itself and what they choose to present. Now, that doesn't mean that they are generating bad content. They're generating great content that a bunch of people enjoy. That's great. All I'm saying is I think the three of you are offering something that is unique. I don't and I I don't watch people play games. Watching someone else play a video game is one of the most boring things to me in the world. I do not understand why Twitch exists <laughs> at all. Right? Okay. Because I I want to play a game. Uh, right. I don't want to watch you play it. I want to play it. But your platform interests me because I enjoy the human connectivity of gaming, right? And being a part of your community is really appealing because you have a unique dynamic. And I think it was a really good idea. I'm glad that the legacy of Turns of War endured because the Civ show is a very interesting property. And I hope it continues for a while, man. I think y'all are doing really good stuff. Thanks, thanks. Uh, back to the, the, uh, the beef on Twitter. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, let's let's some have that, it because some there were some genuine. there were yeah. some fireworks this morning. Yeah, there was. Oh my god, he makes me so mad. Uh, he grinds my gears. You know, what I, mean? I love the guy, but he grinds my gears. Um, so when he wins, when Zoe wins, like he he'll let everybody know. He posts screenshots of of himself winning. He like he he has this whole parade ready for him. You know what I mean? Like he. Had, like I said, he has these screenshots. He posts all over Twitter. He posts all over Discord. Like, I win, you lose, you suck, blah, 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 whatever. I'm like, you know what? You win, you earned it, whatever. Just every moment, it's fine. But then when I win, oh, he can't stand it. Oh, my goodness. You know, he started talk, He started accusing me of making up things about my wins. I'm like, what are you talking about? He started comparing elephants to meerkats. I'm like, what? And then I had other people in our Discord. I'm like, can you give feedback? And like, it what was... does he mean by this? And they didn't even know what he was saying. So I love the guy, but man, he grinds my gears. <laughs> like really just, whew. might be entertaining for you, but yeah, man, sometimes he gets, it really, it really grinds my gears. We're, we're going to get into that score debate tonight, round about midnight, I think. Cause I imagine Zoe's going to get, uh, Zoe's going to join us at about midnight, midnight 30, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he joins around uh, 11.30, 11.30, 45, yeah. Okay, all right, yeah. So I think that's that's definitely going to pop off tonight because uh, I've got to uh, – I have my thoughts to to offer to this score versus other win conditions discussion. So do but I, yeah, so it, do I. But the, the, yeah. the thing is that like he's complaining about my score victory when he won a score victory last week, and then before that I've won – you know, a, a, a super amount of diverse victory types. I've won science, I've won culture, I've won diplomatic, I've won, uh, he surrendered a domination victory. And it's like, okay, you, I guess you can just like, I guess you can completely negate all of those if you want, because that's what he's choosing to do, just ignore them. Like, okay, buddy, all right, whatever. <laughs> I I think he's just poking you, man. Oh, 100%. And, 100%. and every, every competitive group needs a heal. 
you know you just you gotta have one no i i get it i know um we we have we have established that like anything in public is is this is a little bit of insight i guess anything in public is not meant with bad blood um so there, yeah, there's sure. definitely a a public version of both of us and a private version of both of us however some of us, some does cross over so like there is some conflict that in public some conflict does go into our, our, our private but it's not like it's not bad like I don't hate him you know what I mean there's always gonna be arguments between two business partners and so you know he has his ideas I have my ideas and and sometimes we just don't agree but like that's that's okay because eventually uh, when you kind of argue enough and you get to the yeah. mutual ground then you get the best product so um, you know even though if, even if he is poking the bear or if it's genuine it, it it's like it's it's okay i'm okay with it he's okay with it we both consented i guess to it and so as long as we don't take it as long as we don't say anything personal i think we're both okay with it it's kind of like top gear if you've ever watched top gear or grand tour how they kind of just poke poke fun <laughs> at each other all the time i made that comparison to us i'm like i think we're basically like richard hammond and jeremy clarkson just always just going at each other but like we're like three best friends so like what are you gonna do right while we're talking about the civ show Let's talk a little bit about this game that Copper Cutters and I played with you on Sunday. We're going to spend a lot of our night tonight talking about it. We don't have to like hit it too deeply, but I got to know, man. The game was called The Dumpster Fire. Right. And as I understand it, the idea was that all of the sieves involved weren't that great. So I got to ask... Why are Congo and Arabia in your dumpster? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Those were the two that weren't that weren't part of the dumpster, actually. So yeah, ah. when you when you when you said Arabia, like why is Arabia in there? I agree with you. They're a good sieve, but it was it was the, we called it dumpster fire because Zoe had a choice between Spain, Georgia, Scythia, and he's like these all suck. <laughs> he's like, what the hell? I got um, you. So. I gotcha. It was more of like a dumpster fire for Zoe specifically. His choice kind was of. the dumpster fire. Kind of. But it was also it was also the last the last civilizations to play before we've played all of the civilizations. And so mm -hmm. kind of the reason why we didn't pick these ones was they were lesser known or they were really bad where we didn't want to play them. Uh, so they were the so kind of the thought of dumpster fire is more like the the you got picked last in gym class kind of thing, right? So we picked these kids last in gym class. They were the last remaining yeah. bunch. You're like, oh, okay, since we have to, like, yeah, I'll pick this guy. Yeah, I'll pick Arabia. Okay, I'll pick Congo. <laughs> that was that was kind of the reasoning behind dumpster. Yeah, fire. yeah. Not because so, we think Arabia or Congo is dumpster fire, just because like they're the last of the bunch. Yeah, no, I got you. So. You made the choice to play Congo, and yeah. uh, what are your thoughts on the results of that choice? Did you enjoy it? I loved Congo. They were fun. They were a ton of fun. I, I bypassed Arabia. I had first choice because I came last place. So I could have chose Arabia or Congo, but I, I haven't played Congo before. So I kind of wanted to challenge myself there. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll play the Congo. Uh, they were a lot of fun. They're unique neighborhoods that you get early. Oh my goodness, they're such a 
good that's such a good infrastructure that you can get neighborhoods are really key for your housing and the fact that you get those so much earlier makes your civilization just so much more of a powerhouse over others um, it just unlocks so much more potential earlier um, the fact that they get great people faster was obviously to my advantage especially for a score victory uh, combining that with oracle getting more great person points per turn i built a, a lot of different types of districts to ensure i got as many different type of great people like i had encampments to make sure i had great generals i had a lot of science obviously because that's my type of gameplay I had a lot of uh, theater squares to put all of my great writers. When I looked at the amount of great people points people had in their score, I think I had like 200, and then the other people behind me had like 10, 15, 20. It was kind of crazy. Like, they generate great people a lot. There's a lot of... They, I, I don't... Like, that, it's, it's actually sometimes too much to handle. Yeah, I don't have any trouble believing that discrepancy there, especially with the Oracle. Um, you know, when you when you look at civilizations like Congo and Brazil, they're going to have a great person advantage over most other civilizations in the game. That's just built into their DNA, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to ask if your great person generation was mostly passive just as a result of your infrastructure or were you focusing on running district projects to help generate those points no it was completely passive um i don't often run projects i do sometimes but mm -hmm. i don't often i didn't do it this time because i knew i had oracle and i knew i had a wide variety of districts to generate basically points in every single category so I, this was all passive yeah yeah Gotcha. I think you're in the majority of players there. I think that district projects are one of the parts of the game that the majority of players overlook or don't focus on. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just, it's interesting to me when I identify a part of the game that, say, it seems like 90% of the player base loves or 90% of the player base doesn't utilize. Those two dynamics are equally interesting to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. They're, they're good, though. And I think the part of the reason why people don't either, one, appreciate it, or two, enjoy it, those projects, is because there's no really direct feedback from it. You know, you produce a unit, you see the unit. You produce a building, you see the building. You produce a project, sometimes you don't get a great person right away, and you don't see the direct feedback you get from it the there's been instances where i have done projects and i've done them early on in the game to secure a very specific great person a great example of this is uh nystagmus at one point had more great profit points than i did but i knew i can finish a holy site project in three turns and that would generate great people great profit points and so i did that and i stole the great profit from him and he never got a religion that game because of it that's a very good instance where those projects are very good. Another one is Albert Einstein being a scientist that give your universities plus two additional science is insane. So like there's, you should use them only when you see a very, very specific great person available and you need to get it right away. I agree. I think that holy site prayers in the early game, I think that is the, the district project 
that maybe the most game-changing of the district projects because it can determine whether you get a religion or not, and it is simultaneously the least powerful. It's very interesting, right? Like, it just, it defines such a specific moment of the early game, but the other projects can make such a difference from turn 50 onward. Right, yeah, that's exactly right. Or if you're playing on online speed for for you for you fools i guess it's turn tw- turn 25 onward because you're found you're founding your religion on what turn 20 because you're you're building your holy site on what anyway so yeah so speaking of people that could found a religion when you couldn't uh how was playing against georgia as a civilization well i never really like i never really got to face your unique walls um i don't really know i i yeah you had you had a bunch of religious people and i couldn't do anything about it but i felt like i could have taken you out militaristically at any point of the game like you had a bunch of slingers you had a bunch of archers which eventually turned to crossbowmen but like i had a crazy amount of science and i don't even think you built one campus it's, I, th- I i probably could have came in there with like three knights and taking over your whole civ i don't know but I don't, what, what what level walls did you have on those on your cities medieval okay so yeah i probably could have not with three knights but i i think i could have brought over a small force and at least taken one of your cities to just kind of cripple you and just because you were in the land where it was kind of hard to get into so i might have like taken one city or at least just burned down one city and just gotten out now it would have been my whole plan and with the streamlined way i was playing the game losing one city would have been enough of a problem for me to immediately sue for peace right you know yeah and with um you know yeah warfare would have been interesting if like if you sent a bunch of your and galambebas against me that could have been a problem because you would have had a movement advantage Unless I had access to Kevsers at the same time. And it's unfortunate that we never got to, to see how the Ngaumbebes and the Kevsers performed against each other. Because that because we're we're talking about two different movement mechanics there and how they mm-hmm. compare to each other, that would have been a great one-to-one matchup to see, like, okay, let's see in the field how do these two perform against each other. Is that your unique unit? Like, what is it exactly? The the Kevser? Yeah, that's the Georgian uh, unique melee unit, and it has a uh, it has a defensive bonus, and it doesn't have a movement penalty in hills. Oh, and it replaces the swordman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a bunch of hills in your land. You would have won that, I think. Yeah, yeah. It does cost. Um, a lot of production, I think a problem, and we'll, we'll talk about this more tonight, but it costs a lot of production, costs 10 iron, and it's, it's okay, but I was never planning on declaring any war, right? So I'm just, if I'm teching for anything, it's going to be crossbowmen. If there's anything I'm going to tech, it's going to be crossbowmen because the game's going to end before we get to field cannons. So I wasn't really focusing on using the Kevser, and on paper it didn't look that appealing. 
I did want to get one on the board, though, just, again, for the purpose of comparing it to the Ingao and Beba. Mm-hmm. But that yeah. never happened. Yeah, it never happened. I didn't, yeah. I didn't really want to go to war with anyone in that game, because uh, I was in the middle of everybody, so if I, I felt like if I declared war on one person, and I put all my military in that direction, I would have got attacked from the other direction. So I'm like, I need to just play defensive, and whoever comes at me, comes at me. And that was the, yeah. the game I played. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted one person to declare war on me, but that's all I needed. Once that was done, once that like once I made that happen, I, that was all the war I needed. That was fine. Um, yeah. yeah. And Don't you get uh, a bonus or something. What you, when, what'd when you, you get say? A bonus when someone declares war on you? Yeah, I wanted the bonus to um to mausoleum at, at Halicarnassus, and I thought that um since I was already planning uh on like on not really getting Spain religiously until later, I figured I could poke Zoe and get him to give me that bonus, and he did. It worked out pretty well. It happened later than I wanted to, but it still worked. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, what did you overall think about Georgia, though? Um, I I have very interesting feelings about Georgia. Um, or at least I assume they're interesting. I guess. I, I guess interesting maybe is not the right word because it's pretty, uh, pr- pretty uh, presumptuous of me. I have radical feelings about Georgia. Radical feelings. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> because and and again, well, you know, we're going to have this conversation twice, but it's two different streams, so why not? Um, yeah. I have never seen anybody put Georgia anywhere above F tier. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they are largely believed to be the worst civ in the game right yes and i saw that uh it was me and copper cutters whom i've known remotely for a bit and i thought you know what scythia can be fun uh i enjoy playing scythia they're not great but they're not what the entire internet can see considers the worst sip in the game so i thought i'll play georgia georgia on paper looks really interesting and the problem with Georgia is that they are so situational. And like other unique units that are unlocked with military tactics, their unique unit is in a problematic place on the tech tree at a problematic point in the game. And if, if military tactics was moved, that would change things. But their unique un- infrastructure is a 50% discount to walls, and that's a policy card in the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it is. So, so you know, they their ability to build defensive structures in 50%, that has, a, that has an expiration date because there's a civic, maybe it's steel, there's a late-game civic that stops you from being able to build walls. Uh, yeah, steel, the technology. Right? It gives you 400 defense, so it's even better than Renaissance walls. Yeah, it, it is. It gives you it for free. And Georgia's Renaissance walls are great, and their defensive, you know, being able to build walls quickly are good, but you can swap that policy card in and out as you go through the game. So the, you're not actually, while you can use Georgia's unique ability 75% of the game, you're not using it every turn 75% of the game. Does that distinction make sense? 
Yeah, and the fact that I don't know how many times you're going to build Renaissance walls, realistically. I often don't, because usually medieval walls and ranged units are okay, and I'm going to be moving on through the tech tree. And eventually get steel. Eventually, yeah. yeah. So, exactly. Yeah, so there's, so there's the walls, and there's the Kevser. Now, here's the problem. The Golden and Heroic Age bonuses, and this is where I get radical on Georgia. Okay. If you know how to game the era score mechanic, and if the map presents you with opportunities to do so, and if you play the era score mini game in this game correctly, Georgia is the S tier sieve in what that game. In the world, what? And, nah, and nah. Oh. <laughs> if you don't, they're the F tier Civ in that game. And I think that's why they end up in the F tier for every, almost every player. If you look at their unit, it's not great. If you look at their wall ability, it's not bad, but it's not great. And that is because that Golden and Heroic Age benefit is so good. The problem is it's situational, right? And so that's why I think Georgia is a C-tier civilization. Because they are either F or S, depending on what you're doing, they go in the middle. You're going to put these guys the same tier? That's Kenmir? Oh man, that is a hot take. Okay. Well, can't wait for tonight. <laughs> I'm I'm dead serious, man. I acknowledge that I am the first person in the world to say this. But so who's F tier? Who is F tier for you? Who's F tier for me? Yeah. yeah. I have a problem accepting the idea of F tier sieves. I think that that there's a way to play every sieve effectively. But for me, I think I I think the uh I think Scythia does approach that. I think Scythia encapsulate encapsulates my opinions on what an F tier sieve is. Their unique unit is less useful than the unit it replaces. The archer would be just fine in that instance, right? Mm -hmm. The Kurgan, the tile improvement, is good for improving tiles that otherwise wouldn't be useful at all. But the their benefits are not going to benefit you the entire game. And when I look at the strength of a civilization... I want to acknowledge that it has a definitive, demonstrable power spike, but also that its benefits will help me throughout the entire game. Okay. Okay. Uh, I see where you come from. Where usually I rank things, like when I rank a Civ, if I were to play a thousand games, how many games can I reliably win? So, take Grand Columbia, for example. If I play a thousand games, I'd probably win. 900 of those games at least if i were to play georgia how many of the games what do you think i could win honestly maybe 100 at best 
that's kind of how I rank things. Of like, how reliable is the sieve to win? But I just don't think George is reliable. I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And I don't disagree with you. I really don't. Um, I just look at it in terms of I'm going to win. How easy will it be for me to do so? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, Mr. Big Shot, I win every game. Let's hold on here. <laughs> I can't all be you. I'm only playing the computer. That's true. Yeah. You know? And that's the deal. I am going to win. It's going to be, uh, when it comes to ranking, it's going to be a matter of how effectively will I do it, how quickly will I do it, and how many options will I have to enable me to do that, right? When you start ranking things in a multiplayer environment, you're going to introduce a whole other level of variables. But if I'm, if I'm only playing single player, which is 99% of my playtime, it gets a lot easier. And then, you know, but then there's the, there's the thing. It, it, there's also a problem where some sieves are more valuable on deity than they are on king. And that is a nuanced discussion to have that gets ridiculously complicated. It's just when you have a game like this that has so many moving parts and you start taking sieves like these and you start ranking them, all of those moving parts come into play. And that's why you've got a civilization like Georgia. They have points in the game where depending on who else is in that game, they are the S-tier sieve in the game you're playing right now. I don't think that someone like Spain or Scythia has that same opportunity to move up the chain. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I don't agree with it. So I'll, I think I think we'll just have to agree to disagree. Like that's pretty much where where I think I need to settle that one. <laughs> hey, I didn't invite you here to change your mind. I invited you here to hear what you thought. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just don't think they're. I just don't think they're reliable. I. I don't think their units good. I don't think their infrastructure is good. I even don't think their ability is good. So, this is my opinion. They're not reliable. They're just not. Georgia is not reliable. I'm saying if they're taken advantage of, they're stupid powerful. I'm not making any claim about triggering their ability being reliable. Right. I'm saying when it's triggered. They have a huge power spike, and you can play them to maintain that power spike indefinitely. Okay. Because okay. you can, the thing with era score, right, is you can yo yo your eras or you can chain them. And Georgia is the most reliable sieve in the game for chaining Golden Ages. That I'll give you. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you do that, you're only going to have one heroic age, right? Because you can't go from golden to heroic. Right. But you can maintain you can maintain those golden and standard age bonuses because you get both the whole game. The problem is you're going to hit a point where if you're pursuing a religious victory, for instance, when you hit the golden age in the industrial era, it does nothing for you, <laughs> right? Which right. is what I don't think, I think that's, it's things like that 
where I can't put them any higher than C. But I'm going to acknowledge that I'm putting them higher than anybody else in the world would. And I have my reasoning, and that's it. I know it's, right. I know it's an uncommon opinion, but I think they're a scrappy little sieve. I really do. All right, you can take your hot take, and you know we can just re-rank it when we get back to them eventually, maybe. <laughs> Sounds All fine right. with me. I'm going to take my hot take, and I'm going to take a break, and then... After the break, we'll talk about my community and your time in it. Enough about your Civ show. How about that? <laughs> yeah, take that. The yeah, dumb show anyway. You yeah. you, t- you take that, Moy, with your dumb show on Twitter. Yeah, called the dumb show. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Okay. You recently joined the Civ Six Challenge League on Reddit, and you played in the most recent challenge uh, as Grand Columbia. I know you're a fan of Grand Columbia. Oh yeah! Because oh my god, you've extolled their virtues often. Now, so feel free to talk about Grand Columbia, and also I'm curious to know what you think about Apocalypse Mode. And how did it feel playing on a TSL Earth map when most of your content is on a random script map? Okay, one at a time, I guess. Um, I'll... Yeah, 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 sorry. Just giving you the overview here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, T- I love TSL map. I wish we could play it on the Civ show, honestly, and it may make an appearance at some point uh, if we, like, get a bunch of AIs and stuff and play against a bunch of AIs. But I love the TSL map. I think it's 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 cool because it's more historically accurate, obviously. And like you have when when your your civilization is dependent on a land resource like mountains in Inca, in Inca or jungle in Amazon or uh, Brazil, sorry, uh, you're you're going to spawn in a place where there's going to be those land tiles. So it definitely makes every civilization shine to its fullest, which I love. Uh, so yeah, I, I love the TSL map. Like, like just because I don't play it on the Civ show doesn't mean I don't I don't like it. I love it. Um, that's pretty much a quick, quick review on that one. Um, Apocalypse mode uh, started out really fun. <laughs> started out really fun. Then it got really annoying when uh, literally every single time, <laughs> you know, you you make the mistake of building a district beside a volcano because its adjacency bonuses are just way too good. And just every, you, you repair it and it immediately dies. And you repair it again and it immediately dies. And suddenly you're not producing anything out of that city other than just repairing the same damn districts every single turn. Holy moly. Oh, it's a trap, It's a man. trap, dude. Don't, don't ever do it. Um, <laughs> but even, even improving those tiles is a trap. Nah, I disagree with that one. Because improving those tiles, builder charges are pretty fluid. Like you know, you can easily buy a builder or build another builder. Um, it's when you it's because you can like repair those. Repairing doesn't cost you anything. It's if it gets completely destroyed, yeah, that sucks. But repairing doesn't cost a builder charge anything. So if you, I've learned if you're playing apocalypse mode, just have one builder pretty much at all times. Just leave them there and just have them go around their your land. And just keep repairing things. 
keep repairing things, keep repairing things, keep repairing things, and then I do the same thing. Yeah. And then eventually, when you yeah, do need to, I do the do, same thing. Yeah. When you do need to build another one because it got destroyed, then that's when you build another builder. So I like, I think it's totally fine to build improvements beside volcanoes. Just don't put a district there because that takes you. That takes turns. You can't buy a repair. You have to freaking build it for one damn turn every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, ap- it takes a while apocalypse mode yeah. i'm like iffy on um they did say that in the future game modes that they were going to introduce would be st- most likely staying in all of your future games so i have really really high hopes for the other ones just because apocalypse mode was it was well executed i will say i just don't like having to repair everything all the time and the two stairs are kind of like yeah eh. they're cool units they look visually very cool but they're just not practical because either your units are going to die in the storm that you caused or you're going to go to war with somebody because you put a disaster in their land and then you piss them off right it's like you it's a lose-lose i think everything that you just said is a really good explanation of why i'm glad that these additional game modes are included as optional <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> because you may have a day where you want to have an apocalypse game, and you may have a day where you don't want to play Civ 6 and manage the repairing tiles and districts mini game that Apocalypse Mode introduces. Yeah, dude, for real. But it, it, it does. Um, I, 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 it is interesting when you're trying to go for a diplomatic win and suddenly everybody has aid requests. I think that's kind of interesting. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it does help with that, right? Yeah. I didn't think about that until somebody in one of your Reddit comments said that. I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, ah, oh, it's such a good idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I think I think that was Yobsik. I'm trying to remember, but I think that was him that got the first diplomatic win. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too familiar with everybody in your community yet, so uh I'll try to get to learn some names. I'll I'll, I'll probably see them every every couple of weeks. Say it's no, it's the same people. So eventually, well, yeah, I'll, I'll probably learn who they are. Uh, so yeah, it's not. It's not like you have a lot of free time on your hands right now. <laughs> Don't sweat it, man. I, so what's your? Uh, you want to talk about Grand Columbia for a bit? I know you love them. Uh, but, uh, I love them and I hate them. I think they're way too powerful, and I think everybody has the same idea: is that they're way too powerful. Let's go through uh, me and you right now let's go through all the things that granville columbia does and how it just synergizes so well together if every civilization was made this way that would be fantastic but the fact that this is the only civilization that meshes this well together makes them so incredibly powerful let's first talk about the fact that they get great generals every era and they're unique and they do fantastic abilities they can increase all of your units to have plus five strength they can they heal all your Ganeros to completely full full health. They can do a ton of area of effect damage to the enemy as well, and they stack with regular great generals. So it's not a plus four combat strength; it's a plus eight combat strength. And why don't you give Grand Columbia plus one movement passively, and also give them the two great generals that give them plus two more movement? With a total of seven on every horseman that's a great idea yeah oh wait there's more because you thought that was enough no there's way more to this let's talk take let's take into account the fact that the your narrows get bonus adjacency 
to every additional you know and that stacks uh, there's other civilizations that have that and they don't stack why don't you have that no no fraxis wants to include the <laughs> fact that you know there's they, you can stack a ton of these and get a bunch of adjacency bonuses oh but wait but wait no 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 wait you thought that was it you thought that would make a good civ no there's even more to this okay what else could there possibly be to this civilization to make them better? Oh, uh, I actually forgot where I was going with this. Um, <laughs> the, okay, wait, the plus one movement. The, oh, the fact that you can promote. The promote. The promote. Oh, if that was just the ability, literally just that, that you can promote and move on the same turn, that'd be fair. You can literally eliminate everything else about the civilization. Everything else. And it would still be fantastic. If you once you once you play Grand Columbia, you understand. You understand that promoting and moving on the same turn is game breaking. You can completely, for lack of a better term, YOLO all of your units, have them at, at poor health, upgrade, attack again. Guess what? It just doesn't matter. They never die. And then if they are threatened, oh look, you narrow, all of them are healed. Oh, what a fantastic ability that is. Oh man, they're, if there was a, like an S++ tier, they'd be up there. They're, they're so good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it makes it difficult playing another civilization after you've played a game yeah. as Grand Columbia because you have to remind yourself what the actual action economy of the game is supposed to be. Yeah, they spoil you. for like, They definitely spoil you. Now, those Commandante Inerals, I want to add something really nasty about those guys. Their buff is not era-specific. What do you mean? That, so, with a great general, when you spawn a great general, it'll say, gives this bonus to all ancient and classical military right, units yeah. within so-and-so. Okay, yeah. The Commandante General is all military units their buff is active as long as they're in the game yeah i know it's wild so you can get a commandante in a going from ancient to classic and you can still reap its rewards in the industrial era yeah i know like during your during can we talk about this yet uh, <laughs> during your your challenge league like i declared war in america on like turn 30 and then, you know, it was just nonstop war for the rest of the game. Yeah. And the, my very first commandante, Yenoral, I think, as you said, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Um, that, it just, I, I never even used one. Like, I just, I kept, like, like, retired one. I kept it going, and he, the same one I got first was the same one that took over the last city as well, and it was just as good then. These, these, these units yeah. are insane. I hope they introduce, like, more unique great people. I love the idea of it. But I don't think having getting one every era is is that fair. There has to be something to earn it. Like you know, you have to build a unique unit for every other civilization. You have to earn it. You got to research it and you got to build it. They just get it. I think, and I may be approaching another hot take here. I don't think that Grand Columbia is overpowered, and I think it's because they are very very strong at a domination or religious victory and those are the only two that they are very strong at even though plus one movement for every unit is helpful across the board 
those are the only two win conditions that they're very strong at. Much like, you know, Congo can't found a religion and that affects their rating because it takes a win condition away. I don't think, I don't see anything in Grand Colombia's toolkit that makes them an A tier sieve for culture or diplomacy or score, you know? Definitely, so not, I think, definitely not diplomacy because they're going to, yeah, yeah, definitely not that. Definitely not. So, yeah, so I don't know. I think they're a, they're a precision instrument, right? They really are. Whereas you look at someone like the Netherlands or Rome and they're more of a Swiss army knife, right? Um, Jack of all trades, master of none. But the Grand Colombian Civ is really, they're, they're the master of warfare, you know? So they're S tier at that. But actually they might be, they might be B tier at everything else. So maybe they're only an A tier Civ. So I don't know. The reason why I would disagree with that is that domination can branch off to other victory types so when you hold when you take over one even just one civilization let's let's say ideally two you have a significant amount more cities than everybody else and so you can have a significant more amount that's not right english but you know what i mean um campuses you can have way more campuses than everybody else it doesn't matter that their adjacency bonuses may be good or not good you just have more. You have more universities, more, more libraries, more research labs. You'll get more science just from having more cities. And if they can keep dominating and dominating and just keep getting cities, accumulating cities, accumulating campuses and theater squares and you know, commercial hubs, everything like that, they'll win. They can win any victory. Like, domi- you, can, you can branch from domination to anything. It's why I like the Aztecs, because you dominate early and nobody can catch up. Oh, I don't disagree. In fact, and this is odd, because where I wanted to go next was I wanted to get out of the previous challenge, and I wanted to talk about the upcoming challenge. Yes, let's do it. I'm excited. And in a way, you just did it. Oh, (laughs) Because this, what you just described is... A strategy that I've enjoyed for a while, and the point here is to kind of evangelize the raid economy and using domination to win a non-domination victory. Oh, okay. My bad. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna. So I'm shooting. So you're gonna be the first one to to react to this, and I need your help because I'm I'm missing one achievement. Okay. And I wanted to have you help figure that achievement out okay i'll do my best um so i'm uh so here's the i'm gonna shoot this to you in the uh the discord here sure the the challenge image description here is coming your way and as uh you may have seen already right you've got your choice here between norway and uh the mapuche uh Mm. you've got your choice between harold and lotaro and this whole game you can win with tourism, or you can win with religion, but it is very much about an aggressive path to achieving what some might think is a peaceful victory. So we're playing on a continents and islands map. You have your choice between Harold or Lautaro, and then you're playing against Indonesia, Rome, Brazil, 
the Zulu, Phoenicia, and Japan. Mm. <clears throat> All right. We're going to lower the sea level a little bit so people have more room to expand and so that the map is kinder to Mapuche uh, and not just like not just focused on moving from continent to continent over water. And uh, they're also we've got achievements on this challenge like we always do. And most of them are about cultural or uh, religious uh, play styles here which I think both of these sieves can do effectively. You just want to springboard off of their militaristic benefits and use that to gather resources and bolster your economy, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of that's the idea behind this game here. Okay. So hit me. What's your thoughts? Um, my immediate thought is like, oh, Harold would be good because there's Indonesia, and Indonesia loves coast. So you can just early on just go and bully Indonesia as Norway, just uh, you know offshore raid, offshore raid, offshore raid. There's even Phoenicia in here too, so you can do it with them as well. And there's Japan, you can do it with them as well. The only people that are really like protected by Norway is Rome and Brazil, uh, and and Zulu, I guess. So like half you can, ha I guess you mixed it well. I I think that's why you chose it like that. Like half of them are coastal yeah. cities and half of them would be land cities, right? Yeah, and I also considered who has a unique naval unit and who has a unique land unit. Mm. Hmm. This seems like fun. This, this, I, I, I enjoy playing Norway, believe it or not. Um, it's weird because they're, at least when the game first got released, they were pretty widely known as the worst Civ. They've improved since then. But a lot of people still don't like them for some reason. But I think they're okay. Uh, same with Mapuche. Uh, or Mapuche, sorry. Uh, I think they're underrated. I think they're actually pretty good. I think Zoe ranked them in a good spot. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people really don't understand loyalty and how it affects the production in a city. It's like how you can cripple it. So... Uh, yeah. This seems like a really fun challenge and also a way to have people understand how good raiding can be. Like when you raid a campus, you get a hundred or something science. And you know, let's say you're making 30 science a turn. That's like, that's a lot of science, right? Like that's. Yeah, it gets, it gets massive. It's like we were talking about uh, on Discord yesterday because y'all were freaking out about my goal per turn and i was like hey it's a rate economy it does not matter <laughs> i was just you know? i was just making a joke because i know i know zo loves his gold right he he if, if he's not getting a hundred gold a turn he's like freaking out on inside well and i feel him on that if i if i'm not doing this particular strategy i feel the same way and part of that goes into the four bonus point achievement on this challenge uh, the Wages of Sin, pillage or raid five districts, five buildings, and five tiles, and buy five units in one turn. I mean, that's hard. Holy. It is, but it's possible. That, you need 15 units. Minimum. <laughs> See, that's the thing. And this is, this is a bit of a hint, but you actually don't. Oh, because, because, oh, yeah. because of the two sieves that I've chosen. 
the the rating costs less, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually is possible. It's clever. It's clever. I like it. You're clever with these achievements. Even, even when I thought of them before, I'm like, oh, these are clever. These are good. Well, I'm not clever enough, though, because I don't have the four-point achievement for a passive victory yet. And I wanted to bounce some ideas off of you because the the whole point of these challenge games is to suggest or indicate a play style, but not to force one. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm lacking a diplomatic achievement here. And I was thinking, because we've got eight players on this map, and this game is going to go for a while because it's tourism or religion, right? Okay. I thought that... The four-point achievement for the peaceful path in this game should be related to having all five alliance. You should have five alliances active. At any point in the game? Well, see, that's the thing. I'm trying to figure out if it should be five alliances active at level two or level three. Wow, that's actually really hard. <laughs> it's re- it is really hard. That's the thing. I was trying to find something that was uh, that was more challenging than not just don't declare war. Well, if you don't declare war, you can't do two of these achievements. You can't do buy um, capture ten cities, and you also can't do the pillage one. So then, right. So I think by faith or by force, then that's got to be capture or have ten cities with world wonders. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that so that enables that achievement as a peaceful option as well. Yeah. That, okay. Okay. So so I so if I make that change right, and then I make the peaceful plus four option something related to alliances, then you can get the same score depending on how you play. Is kind of what I'm going for here. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's kind of like uh, the 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 bass backwards. Uh, I I liked that achievement. I like the name of it too. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm trying to do that for each game. I'm trying to like I'm trying to reinforce that you don't have to play the challenge the same way as everybody else. You know. Yeah, I was thinking maybe there's something with like, you know, you don't take over any city states. That could have been, but but if you want to do like a complete opposite, then yeah, it would be like have five alliances or don't declare war and have five alliances. Um, because you can easily bully and raid the city states and improve your units that way. It's usually what I do when I play like a domination kind of victory is I bully the city states first to improve my units and then I'll go to war with the civilization. Um, so I was thinking maybe I was trying to think of something with city states, but I got I, I'm not. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I love, I love that. What about have five alliances of any level, and be the suzerain of at least five city states? Oh, there you go. Oh, that's yeah. Okay, that's tough. That's a good one though. I like that. I think it's on par with the with the domination one. Yeah, because that one's hard too. Yeah. Okay. I'm down for it. I like it. And that's like, you really need to get a lot of culture and diplomatic stuff to get that done. So I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to put in some work. So have five alliances active simultaneously while you are the suzerain of five city states. Yeah. What are you going to call it though? I'm like, I don't even tell like, how do you come up with these names, man? Like, it's so, they're good. Like all of them are always, they're always so good. 
Well, I try. I appreciate it, man. Some of them are holdovers from the Civcast days. Some of them are repeat achievements. Uh, on this game, it's just me trying to be funny. Like, like Vader would be proud is a reference to him saying, uh, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's so yeah. funny. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so some of them are, you know, some of them are research, some of them are just stuff that's floating around in my head, and some of them I'm doing for the memes. You can call it peace in our time. <laughs> Hang on. All right, that's what we're oh doing. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, Zoe would be so and, happy. <laughs> and on that terrible disappointment. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice reference. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time today, Moy. This has been an absolute blast. So before we get out of here, you want to let everybody know where they can find you on your various platforms? Yeah, sure. I mean, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it has been a blast. Uh, again, thank you very much. Uh, you can find us at The Civ Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and on Spotify, The Civ Show Podcast. Uh, you can also find us on Twitch every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at The Civ Show. When you look at The Civ Show, it is one word, The Civ Show. All right. Well, thanks again for being on, man. And I will see you in a few hours. I'll see you in a few hours. It's been a blast, man. Thank you very much. I know, man. I had a great time. Thanks again. You have a good afternoon and talk to you later. Yeah. See you later. Yeah.